I'm excited to uh, introduce to you today our storyteller, Rachel Labrie. Rachel has been at our church for um, several years now, but I got to know her really well in confirmation a few years ago when she was part of our class. And Rachel was um, so great because she had such a positive attitude that she would bring, and she was always seeing the good in people and in situations, and she just brought this real spirit of joy to the group. And when she wasn't there, we really noticed she, it, something was really missing. And Rachel is a lot of fun. She's got a great sense of humor, so she was always able to also see the humor in things. So I've been really uh, blessed to be able to get to know Rachel and watch her grow up to be um, a wonderful young Christian woman, and you are going to hear her story today. Come on up, Rachel. Hi, my name's Rachel, and a little background about me is that I've been going to Evergreen Covenant Church for almost six years now, and have been attending various churches all my life. But my personal relationship with God wasn't really established until after Young Life Camp in sixth grade, and it was strengthened by going through confirmation here at Evergreen, where I got to learn and study more than I ever thought possible. During this period, I felt closer to God than ever, and my life became less stressful at a time with dealing with the struggles and complications of middle school than high school, with all the work and drama it brings should have been making me more stressed. I wouldn't be honest if I didn't tell you that like every other teenager, there has been some ups and downs, and it wasn't smooth sailing all the time. But I know that it would have been a lot harder if I didn't have my faith and my trust in God to fall back on. Although I was lucky to have this close relationship with God, I felt like there was something that I was missing out on. Last year, I decided that I needed to do some mission work. I was excited when our church youth group would be traveling to Guatemala in the summer with Nicholas Fund for Education, but I couldn't wait that long to do something. So when some friends invited me to travel with their church group to Tijuana for spring break to build houses, I decided to take them up on their offer. With the Mexico trip being the same year as the Guatemala trip, I had to work to earn my own funds to get there. After using weeks of paychecks to pay off the travel costs, I questioned if this trip was really going to be worth it. The trip to Tijuana, Mexico was during my junior year and was focused on building houses. Our group of 11 built an entire house in one week, while the larger team built a total of seven houses. The hands-on work started with cement day and finished with roofing in 90-degree weather, all while our mom of the house and her two young children watched. It was worth every bit of sweat when we got to hand over the keys to the family, and I got to see the joy in their eyes. Never could I have imagined that I would prefer hammering on roofing material, sawing bo boards, taking cold bucket showers, and getting watch and glove tans over lying by the pool taking naps all day. I'm currently earning the funds to go back again this year, possibly even as a leader. I can't wait to return and build houses for another de deserving family. Luckily, my mission work didn't end there. Last summer, I had the opportunity to travel to Guatemala with our church youth group here and teach students at the Nicholas Christian School, La Benedicion, and La Esperanza through the Nicholas Fund for Education. Although there, I think I did more learning than I did teaching. In Guatemala, I had a totally different experience, as we worked directly with the children forming new relationships. 
Without even knowing Spanish, I was still able to connect with the students by drawing pictures, making bracelets, singing worship songs, and playing soccer together. One of my favorite moments of the trip was singing worship songs with the kids from Nicholas Christian School and seeing how, though we had our differences, we all came together and were feeling the same presence of God. I developed a strong love for the little children at these schools. And while in Neba, we were able to stop by one of the houses in the surrounding villages. We went into one that was about half the size of a regular classroom here with dirt floors. There was a woman who lived there named Juana. Juana was going blind and she was under a great deal of distress. As a group, we asked if there was anything that we could do for her to comfort her. And she responded that she would love to hear us sing. After singing Amazing Grace and 10,000 Reasons a cappella, there was not a dry eye in the road, including my dad, if you remember his story. Never have I felt the presence of God so strongly, and at that moment, I knew that God had called me there, and this mission work was something I needed to continue. While in the midst of making the decision of what college I will attend, and no, I do not know where I will go yet, a large factor I have looked into is a community where I can keep my faith strong and somewhere where I continue, can continue various mission work that I have felt so called to. I'm not going to lie, it hasn't been an easy process. There has been several intense discussions and tears over where I will be attending next year. And the transition from this community where I have a supportive youth group here at the church, an amazing group of Young Life girls I can talk to anytime, and opportunities to travel the world during mission trip is going to be hard to leave. But I resort back to remembering to trust in the plans God has for me and knowing that he will help me find what I need at these colleges as well. By doing that, I know I will end up somewhere new and exciting with his help. And now for our scripture reading. This morning, our scripture reading will be from the book of Jonah. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 9 through 16 from Jonah chapter 1 in the New International Version. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The word of the Lord. Now is the time for the kids to be dismissed to Sunday school. Have a wonderful time in your classes. And thank you so much, Rachel, for your story this morning. It's incredible to hear the testimony of a young person called into the mission field. 
There are often scripture texts where it is hard to settle on a direction. In one small chapter, there can be 15 different sermons to preach, and the challenge is to choose which one. The danger is trying to weave them all into one. So this morning, we will focus on Jonah's own deception of movement into reality. But just know this passage is deep in meaning and carries with it powerful words to the church. We will be preaching on Jonah for the next few weeks, so I encourage you to read each chapter slowly, listening to what God might be speaking to you. We're going to enter into a little bit of time I like to refer to as too much information, Pastor Elise, so buckle up. (laughs) Ever since I was a young child, I would get scabs on the inside of my nose during the winter time. It was especially bad when I was in elementary school. The good part was the scabs did not hurt me. The bad part is I always wanted to pick them. I can distinctly remember a time in second grade, and I thought I had come up with a flawless plan of how to pick these scabs and not make it look like I was picking my nose. I would take one hand and cover my nose, and then I would use the other hand's pointer finger to pick away. Like this. (laughs) The first day I put my genius plan to work, about two minutes in, my teacher comes over to my desk, taps on it, and whispers to me, Elise, you need to stop picking your nose. What? How in the world did she know? My plan was flawless. I was being so covert. So at recess, I went straight to the bathroom mirror to see how she could have discovered. And indeed, it did look like I was picking my nose. I had deceived myself. In our passage this morning from the book of Jonah, deception was the first thing that caught my eye. We pick up the passage when Jonah has already boarded the boat to Tarshish which is about 3,000 miles in the opposite direction of where God has asked him to go, which is Nineveh. And what is interesting is the choice that Jonah makes because he decides to get on the boat on the sea. Sea was synonymous with chaos, danger, and the unknown in the ancient world, especially for the Jews. From the time in Genesis 1, we see God taking the chaotic waters that cover the earth and put form and boundaries to them. For most Jews, the sea was not the place they wanted to be. Yet Jonah chooses this option rather than where God has chosen for him to go, to the city of Nineveh, the capital city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. The verses right before our passage this morning tell us that Jonah was fleeing from God, And this is where I try to imagine Jonah's logic. Did he think that God would lose sight of him? Or God would say, oh, you had a trip planned to Tarshish? I didn't know. I'll ask somebody else to go to Nineveh. Jonah deceived himself into believing that God's power was limited to human means. But God's power is demonstrated when a storm arises and the ship carrying Jonah is in danger of sinking. The sailors aboard are terrified and doing everything they can to save themselves. 
They are each calling out to their different gods in hopes that one of them is real and will save them. They throw cargo into the sea to lighten the load in attempts not to sink. And during this, Jonah goes below deck and falls into a deep sleep. The sailors eventually call him up and realize it is because of him that they are in this mess. Jonah realizes he has deceived himself into thinking he could flee from God and instructs the sailors to throw him into the sea. There is such a great deal of backstory to Jonah's decision to flee that we don't get by reading these particular verses. Nineveh was in Assyria, and the Assyrian people had conquered the Israelites, Jonah's people. They had taken over their land, made them into slaves, and treated them cruelly. As one commentator put it, God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh so the people could be saved would be like asking an African-American to go and preach to the Ku Klux Klan. The Ninevites represented a people group who had destroyed the Israelite people and caused the fall of the northern kingdom. Why would God want to save such a terrible group of people? Do you ever have this thought? I know I do. A group of people or a particular person, and I can't imagine that God would ever want to save them. I once asked my former youth group, who was a group of people today that you couldn't imagine God wanting to save? The vast majority of them said terrorists. Terrorists have deceived themselves into believing that violence will bring what they desire. And many of us Christians have deceived ourselves into believing God does not love the terrorists and that their actions dismiss them from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If God asked me to offer forgiveness and preach the good news to this group of people, I would probably want to flee from that mission as well. But what I have done is deceived myself from realizing that they are created in the image of God, and God loves them so deeply and wants them so desperately to be in relationship with him. And the truth of the matter is, God is asking me of smaller things. And I often do not obey and deceive myself. We might feel the tug to get involved in local mission, helping those experiencing homelessness or mental illness. But we conclude we don't have enough time. Yet we do have time to indulge ourselves in television programs, endless hours of perusing Facebook or other social media outlets. We might feel God calling us to give to our church, but we let our deception decide that we could really use that money for something else. I distinctly remember a time in which God was calling to me, and I wanted to go in the opposite direction and flee from him. The summer between my second and third year of seminary, I was a chaplain at the hospital just down the street from where my university was in Chicago. And chaplains in the hospital there, they, we have rotations that we go around and we meet with the new patients that have just been admitted into the hospital. We typically go in and introduce ourselves and, 
and we asked them if there is anything that we could do, if we could pray for them or just sit with them. Most of the times you're met with, even if somebody doesn't want that, they're pretty warm and just say, oh, not at this time, thank you, and we politely leave the room. Also, the best part about being a chaplain is you get to wear the doctor's white coat so everybody thinks you're a doctor, (laughs) which made me feel very important. But this one particular day, I had the worst rounds ever. I had somebody flip me off. I had somebody tell me to get out of their room. Most people, one man pretended like he didn't even, that I wasn't in the room. He just kept looking away from me. And I thought, I think that's my cue to go. I remember this one woman said to me, I came in, I said, hello, my name is Elise and I'm a chaplain here. And she said, what is your name? And I said, Elise. And she said, delete. And I said, no, it's Elise. And she said, delete. And I thought, okay, I'm going to say it one more time. And if she thinks it's delete, I'm just going to say it's delete. So I said, it's Elise. And she said, your name is delete. And I said, yes, my name is delete. And she said, that is a stupid, stupid name. And then she said, get out of here, delete. There was a lot of choice words I wanted to say to her, but I left. And I had one name left on my rounds for that morning. One person left that I had to see. And I thought, God, I'm not going. I can't take it. I'm going to hang up my white robe and get out of here. And I just felt like God saying, please, please, please go into that room. So reluctantly, I can imagine if there was a video of it. Reluctantly, I walk in and, hi, I'm Elise. I'm the chaplain here. There is a sweet older woman laying in the bed. She looks at me and she said, oh, how wonderful to have a visitor here today. And she said, I haven't been to church in a long time. It's been so long that now they have women pastors. (laughs) So she went on to tell me her story, and her story was such a sad one. She grew up on the south side of Chicago, and two churches that she had belonged to, each church, which this just seems unheard of, had each had a gunman come in and shoot up part of the congregation. So she hadn't been to church in over 40 years because she was terrified of what it would mean for her to go through those doors. She was, as she continued to tell her story, she, violence of the world around her paralyzed her from wanting to be involved in Christian community. And she said she just carried around this big bag of guilt that God would not forgive her for not showing up to church. I remember there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I, that I had said to her in that moment. I said, C.S. Lewis said, just because you walk into a church doesn't make you a Christian, just as much as when you walk into a barn, it doesn't make you a cow. She liked that. <laughs> I prayed with her, and I prayed for God to forgive her, but I also prayed that she would forgive herself because she carried around this guilt that God did not want for her. For this woman's spirit was full of love and goodness, and I knew that God was proud to call her one of his own. She wept through the entire prayer, and at the end when I was leaving, she said, I want you to know your presence here today was the presence of God with me. 
Thank you, chaplain. So I am so struck by those who say yes and don't even think about fleeing. A person like Rachel, our storyteller this morning, who wants to follow God to the corners of the earth, sharing the gospel, willing to give up that poolside seat and tan, and the luxuries of American living. And without hesitating, these people say yes. My husband, Ben, as some of you know, spent 20 months in West Africa. He tells me about his time there, and it sounds absolutely miserable. <laughs> the temperatures would hang in the hundreds the majority of the time. He saw women abused in the marketplace and could do nothing about it. He was chased by robbers and had to flee on foot, contracted malaria, and a pint of ice cream cost $15. I don't know what their pregnant women do. <laughs> and if Ben could, he'd be on the first flight out tomorrow to return. Why, is my question. I went to a memorial service of a friend of mine's grandfather. He had six daughters and a lovely wife who preceded him in death, who he always affectionately called his bride. He had a decent job while raising his family, but not a great deal of excess. Yet he tithed 25% of his income to the church. His daughter shared that he would tell them, God will know better to do with this money than I would. Once his daughters were grown and out of the house, he upped his tithe to 60%. His memorial was at his home church and the pastor who preached said, without his generosity, many of the dreams we had for this place would have never come to fruition. He said it was because of him that the children's wing became reality. His daughter, the mother of my friend, told me that it was easy to clean out her dad's house since he didn't have many things. His mantra in life was, if I have the Lord... I have all I ever needed. Or as the famous church father, St. Augustine, said, he who has Christ plus everything else has no more than he who has Christ alone. This friend's grandfather wanted Christ for all, which is precisely the reason he gave in such abundance. So then what is the magic formula to living a more godly life? What does it take to do what God has asked of us without wanting to flee? I think we need to look in the mirror and name what deceives us from reality. What inhibits us from believing that Christ is enough? I think we also need to be willing to allow others to speak into our lives about our own short-sightedness, our beliefs, and our habits. Often we fall into this self-deception on our own. And the way to get out of it is to enter vulnerably into community with friends and family and spiritual mentors who speak truth into our lives that we may be unwilling to do for ourselves. This is one of the main reasons we are called the body of Christ. If I remain alone in my echo chamber of life, and to use the Apostle Paul's metaphor, say I am a hand. 
if I am not connected to the arm, let alone the rest of the body, I can think that being a hand is the pinnacle of what it means to follow God. The two great deceptions that Jonah fell into, as one commentator stated, was he desired to control his own life and that he believed that God was only a God for the Israelites. Scripture tells us that if we want to save our lives, we must lose them. When I am in control of my own life, my selfish ambitions win out. I choose to live how best pleases me, and I can fool myself into thinking that is what God wants. However, these are not the parting words of Jesus. He doesn't say to his disciples, now go and find a safe and secure place to live. Separate yourselves from the needs of the people around you and live unto yourselves until I return. Instead, he says to them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you until the very end of the age. I read a sermon about Jonah by a Seattle preacher. He said, in King County, 67% of our population does not belong to church. Our neighbors are more unchurched than Tanzania, Madagascar, and Nambia our traditional mission fields. He goes on to say, according to statistical studies, one-fourth of memberships in congregations such as these do not believe Jesus Christ is important. Seven, that he said that is another 8%. So in other words, 75% of the people around us do not think Jesus is important enough to go to church. Our congregation is situated in the middle of Nineveh. God does not need to call us someplace else because we live in a place of great need. Our priorities have become skewed along the way. We have allowed ourselves to live in a bubble where the pains and the problems of the outside world are not seen, or perhaps we think it is someone else's job or responsibility. Yet God has spoken. He has given us a mission to go and spread the good news. For as the Apostle Paul says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. May we live contrary to the world around us, demonstrating that a life lived to the glory of God is worth more than we could ever ask or imagine, and learning that when we listen and obey to his still, small voice, we will see others come to know him and share in the rich inheritance to be called a child of God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, Come into our lives and show us that which deceives us. Help us to trust and to follow you to the ends of the earth. Help us to believe and know that you will bring about peace, love, and justice 
in your own timing and by your own means. Let us be your instruments, O holy God, that others may come to know they are made in your image and likeness, and you call them your very own. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.